Hey friends, Sylvie here. Before we get started, I want to remind you to sign up for the podcast newsletter so you never miss a podcast episode again. This will be sent out once a week. In addition, hope you're okay with this, we will be adding additional information, articles on health, fitness, nutrition, and cycling. Refer to the link in the description to sign up today. Coming up, our more amazing cycling clinics. Visit www.sylviedow.ca. Also in the show notes, the hottest clinic and webinar is about the bike maintenance. What if you could learn more specific skills on how to deal with a bike mechanical while out on a ride? Do you avoid going long distances because you're afraid of experiencing a flat or not knowing what to do and possibly having to phone someone to pick you up? I can totally relate. I used to be that way. I have also found the number one fear is wrapped around taking off the back tire. I will provide easy tips to help eliminate that fear and make it second nature. Here are a couple testimonials from the bike maintenance clinic and webinar. I've been a cyclist for 12, 13 years. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm a man, but I know absolutely very little even about my bike that I have. So it was very enlightening for me. As you can say, it it was really enlightening for me because it's encouraged me that I need to learn more. I got too used to getting into the bike, taking it to the, um, the shop when it's when there's got a puncture. Um, I've just become lazy. I can do it myself. So it was really inspiring to see you walk through. And I'm going I'm to try and I'm gonna go to a cart and all of that stuff when I'm going to start trying to learn more about how my bike actually operates. Because that's really important, right, when you're a cyclist to, to understand how it, all, how it all works. So, yeah, thank you for today. It was really, really insightful. Well, it's too easy to pretend that we know, well, that's what a lot of men do, but I mean, honestly, I don't. I mean, I'm, I, I get on and I ride it. I know very little. So you, you've, you've shown me up today. You've embarrassed me into action. That's what you've done. My name is Kelly and I took the bike maintenance course today with Sylvie. And my biggest takeaway was learning how to take off the back wheel. And she made me take it off and put it on, take it off and put it on, take it off and put it on. But now I got it. It's on. Hi, I'm Jenna. I just took the bike maintenance course with Sylvie. Uh, My biggest takeaway is that I feel now that I'm the one that my friends are going to come to when they have flat tires, and that makes me extremely excited. Bye. Isn't it just amazing hearing those testimonials? I love hearing that I've empowered and impacted someone even through a webinar. So here's what I have. Online bike maintenance webinars, and that happens every two weeks. I also have added my four-week cycling skills webinar where you're going to learn how to smooth out your pedal stroke, climb hills, good nutrition, and strength power and strength training. Next, of course, is my local hands-on bike maintenance clinics, plus my learn how to group ride with others four-hour clinic. Now, you can find all the details on my website at sylviedaou.ca for the next available dates. Have an amazing day and enjoy the next episode. (laughs) All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, All Things Cycling Podcast. And as I mentioned, this is a super important three-part series with Joe Friel. I've mentioned this, and I'm really, really excited because what we're going to be talking about is his book, Fast After 50. And as I was mentioning to Joe, if 
This I should have had been reading about five years ago. I'm 51 now. I waited till I was 50 to pick it up. And I know he laughs. And I've also learned that you better get your copy because it might not be produced. Who knows what the future is for this book? Um, it's with a publisher, but so I'm going to add an Amazon link in the description, get your book, listen to it in audio. Um, it's really, really good to listen to an audio and get the book as a reference. And so that's why I asked Joe if he would be open to coming on the podcast to do a three part series. And we're basically what we're going to do is we're breaking this up into three sections. So the first one will be, how do you know, like you're getting older, right? Sometimes we have to <laughs> accept the fact that we are no longer 30 or 20 or high, you know, high school athletes, and we need to make specific changes. Then we're going to talk uh, segment two is going to be the diet, how that's going to change. And then the really cool part is number three will be high performance training and intensity and welcome joe i am so so excited to have you here again he was on the podcast um last year we were talking about his ride inside book which i read as well <laughs> and i've used this on my swift journey welcome joe Hi, Sylvie. Thanks very much for having me on, on board with you. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm always looking forward to talking in depth with professionals like yourself to really, um, you know, because if, if our listeners, I mean, just put in the comments on YouTube or Instagram, like how many of your, of Joe's books do you have honestly in your library? Cause I have three more. <laughs> I have the triathlete, the mountain biker, and the road cyclist. And, uh, you know, I've used those for you know, training athletes, for myself. But I find that these two books, Ride Inside and Fast After 50, just super amazing um, training material for anybody who's getting started. So, all right, Joe, we got these three segments, like I mentioned, everybody. So make sure that you um, sign up for our newsletter. This is new so that you don't miss these episodes. All right. So number one today, we are going to talk about the senior aging athlete. And we're going to bring like, I know what I said, senior. It doesn't mean you're 80 years old. It means you are starting to move into an age that's you know where you're starting to notice different things about your body and um i told joe that i was going to use myself as a subject for this um because i'm 51 and like i said i picked up this book because i turned 50 and i'm like oh this is something i need to read now that i'm 50. but here's the thing we start making changes in our bodies as women much earlier than 50 that i noticed so so like I said, our episode number one is about the senior aging athlete, the definition. And then two is how important is routine sleeping eating. And then three is going to be the high performance. So Joe, let's start with 
the senior aging athlete and what that means. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think probably the first thing people notice when they, they get to the, to the age where they're, uh, they're beginning to experience some uh, downside performance before that happens. The first thing we usually realize is that we're not recovering as fast as we did when we, when we were younger. I can recall when I was in college on the track team, um, the coach used to have us do the same workout every day. This is back in the 1960s when coach, sports science wasn't too big back in the 1960s. It was mostly the way your coach had coached you. And the way he had been coached apparently was to do intervals from sunup to sundown. And that's what we did. Um, so we call, I call it intervals till you puke. Um, <laughs> What he'd do is we'd warm up and he would he'd blow his whistle and we'd all come running over to the bleachers where he was sitting next to the track. And uh, we knew what was next. And he, this is a cinder track, so he had drawn a line with his foot across the track. And that was a starting point and the finishing point because we were going to run 440-yard intervals. Today we call them 400-meter intervals, but back then it was 440 yards. And he'd step back and he'd blow his whistle. And that meant go. And so there'd be all of us to take off around the track. We had no idea how fast we were supposed to run or anything else, how, how much recovery we would have, et cetera. Just go run as hard as you can. Had no idea how many we were going to do. So when we got done with each interval, we'd be standing there with our hands on our knees, trying not to, not to throw up yet. And uh, he's telling us how poor we are and how we've got to improve. We've got to get faster. We're just not fast enough. And all the kind of stuff that coaches used to do. And this, this would happen five days a week. And when we would do those intervals until somebody started puking. And when somebody started puking, that would usually get his attention. We were down, I knew then we were down to the last one or two. We may be doing only 18, we may be doing 12, we may be doing 30. And we have no, absolutely no idea what, happened, what we're doing or how fast or anything else. And only he had, of course, had a stopwatch. We had no idea what the times were unless he told us our times and we came across the, the line he had drawn on, on the cinders. And I would recover from that every day and go out and do it again the next day. It was five days a week because back in the 1950s, 1960s, you did not train on the weekends. Nobody trained on the weekends. Even Roger Bannister in the 1950s didn't train on the weekends. You only trained on weekdays. That was just the way it was. And so we, I'd do that five days a week and I'd recover and I was always ready to go the next, the next day. Now, if I just do that workout when I, when I turn 50... I may be able to complete one of those sessions and that would be it for the entire week. Um, <laughs> it was just so stressful that it's, it's beyond comprehension how hard that, 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 that was the way we trained back in those days. There was no science to it or even any thought given to it. It was just go out and do it. And so that's the first thing we usually recognize is we're not, we're not recovering like we used to. And then we may begin to notice that sometime in our late 30s, early 40s, perhaps. Not a big deal. But you're just not recovering as fast as you were. But by the time you're in your 50s, it's becoming rather evident that you need more rest. And some, the problem is most athletes are not willing to listen to their body. And so they decide to push on and keep trying to do intervals till you puke seven, five times a week. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's the starting point for this whole discussion is it, it begins because we recognize that we're just not recovering as fast as we used to that usually causes people to say, okay, what should I do about this? And that's, that's where the whole question begins of a whole, 
the whole uh, process begins of making changes to my training reluctantly. So that, that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. You know, I had, a, I was mentioning that I had a couple and it's, it's hard mentally to actually grasp that because yeah. I find, you know, like when I was reading your book and we're going to talk about this in the last segment a little bit more, uh, more, but recognizing that you need to, uh, incorporate more rest days. I was just like, no, but I have to work. I have my training schedule for, you know, the seven days and like you're talking to extend it like we don't I don't want to get into detail about that, but that was one of the first things. And also I'm telling you, Joe, the Garmin, if you have a Garmin and you finish a workout, it'll literally tell you how many days you have to rest or hours. I'm just like, what? So I do an interval on Swift and it comes back and say, you need to rest. 72 hours before the next workout it's like 72 hours that's like uh three four days and then i'm like wow really and i and then i did it and i'm like whoa okay i do feel refreshed there is a little bit of you know real like reality to this but right now like as this the aging athlete so that's the first thing is the mental acceptance of knowing that we cannot keep doing workouts day in and day out and did you find that that was one of those things that it took you a while or it maybe takes your athletes a little bit of a you know to accept that and listen to you as a coach yeah it's hard to do it for yourself let alone yeah. get other people to do it uh, but yes, that, that is certainly the case. And you mentioned training schedules. Uh, I'm probably the father of training schedules in the U.S. anyway. And and uh, um, but there's a downside to training schedules. They're not they're not perfect. You, you can create a training schedule, but the problem is people think once they've created, they've got to do it regardless of what happens. They've got to somehow get in that workout uh, despite everything going on in their lives and how they feel and everything else. And that's really not the case. Training schedules are meant to be um, molded, meant to be mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. I, I never had an athlete that I, I coached make it through an entire season without his training schedule being changed, and usually okay. quite significantly. So you got to yeah. be prepared to say, you know, this is just not going to work out for me to do this today. I got to do something different. I got to take an easy day, maybe even a day mm -hmm. off, but I just can't go out and do this hard workout today. So that, that's the challenge we face is we, we, we're very uh, dedicated to planning and thinking ahead, mm -hmm. building toward our goals. But you've also got the same time realize that um, there may be, a, you may not always be up to doing it on, on any given day. You've got to be, be prepared to say, okay, I'm going to take more rest today. That's just the way it is. If you don't do that, you're doomed to poor performance the rest of your career. You've got yeah. to be able to say, I'm taking a, a break. I'm going to have to go easy or I'm not going to train at all today or whatever. Maybe you've got to do that, but people are reluctant. Yeah. I, yeah, I see that a lot. And, and then at the end of the day, you're like, how are you doing with that <laughs> workout or how is your body feeling? But for, for this part, let's get back to the aging 
that affects. And then you've outlined certain things like nurture versus nature. And I was, I thought that was kind of interesting. So nature is more of our genetic material, what we're, we're made of. And then nurture is the lifestyle, like our exercise behavior. Can you talk more on those two um, elements that I guess we need to recognize first off before we get into like the goals and the training plan and like, you know, sure. at, yeah. Yeah, well, you, you've summarized already the starting point for this, which is that nature mm -hmm. is basically genetics, what you, what you inherited, who you are genetically. Um, that's, you're, you're not gonna change that. That's just who you are. And we're, we're all unique in those ways. There's many things that go into that. For example, uh, well, I'm sure we'll come back to hormones probably several times over the course of the next uh, discussions about this whole topic. Mm -hmm. But the hormones you produce and how much you produce of those hormones, um, the balance you have of those hormones in your body is largely determined by who your, your, your ancestors were, what you, what you inherited from them. And we're not all the same. We're all humans, but we have these subtle differences between us and how our bodies have, have uh, been put together. And we need to be very cautious when we deal with these things that we don't try to make ourselves into somebody else's mm. nature. We've got to accept the nature we have and what we can do, what we can do with that nature, as opposed to trying to, to uh, um, change the nature. That's not going to happen. So when we try to change the nature. Now we're talking about the nurture part. Nurture is basically how you live your life, your lifestyle, as you mentioned. Mm. And that's, that's all the stuff we do. It's your diet. It's, it's the exercise program you follow. It's the sleep you get. It's, and, and you know, all these things blend together to give you um, who you're trying to become. And you're trying to become this athlete within the boundaries of what nature gave you. So there's limitations placed on what you can do and what you can't do. And we've got to be, learn to accept those because we're not all the same. There, you know, you mm -hmm. look at elite athletes, like uh, you take uh, Ironman elite athletes or Tour de France riders or marathon runners mm -hmm. that, you know, that run sub 210 for the marathon. You know, these people are not normal. Um, they're, they're not like you and me. We can't use them as goal, as role models for how we should be training. Uh, they can do things that are unique because they're unique. They've got this nature behind them, which has given them a body, which is uh, capable of doing things that, that hardly anybody else on the planet could do. So you can't use these people and say, okay, because this athlete does this workout, I, I need to do that same workout. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. You've got to decide what is right for you. And you, it's interesting to look at the elite athletes and how they do things, but don't take them as being the way you should do it. They're not, they're not you. They're different people altogether. So keep that in mind always. If you're trying to find what works for you that's best, and, and the only way to usually find that is by trial and error. And by the time you're in your 50s, if you've been in sport for some time, you should have already given that some thought and have some ideas You've probably been fighting them, fighting these things that are going on in your mind about what should I be doing, but you've got to learn to accept them. So that's nature versus nurture. 
nature, we're not going to do anything about. Uh, we can help it, but we can't really change it. Nurture is where you've got great control. Right. And uh, that's why we aren't all Olympic athletes, because clearly those, like you say, pro athletes, Olympic athletes, they do literally stand out amongst the rest of us. And, <laughs> and when you find someone who is actually like super good, like at what they're doing, then, you know, they, and I, I was just thinking of um, an interview I did with Bree Vine. Her husband is Ryan Vine who is working towards getting on the pro tour. And the thing is that they together as a couple, they recognized that his abilities were going to take him far, you know, and, and I think it's like finding that and, and building on it because then that's, you know, when you, when you find a talent, it goes the distance. So you mentioned, Oh, did you have something you want to say? No. So you mentioned limiters. And this is another thing, I guess, that would go into the lifestyle part, or sort of the nurture part, which is, you know, what's holding us back? What are our weaknesses that we can uh, control? And, um, you know, just talking on that because there, you know, there's a couple of them. There's body weight, um, aerobic capacity, muscle development, um, and things like that. Do you want to talk on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we've all got um, <laughs> limiters. Um, mm -hmm. This is an idea I began developing from my own coaching back in the 1980s was that athletes come to me and they tell me what their weaknesses are. You know, an athlete will tell me, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at climbing hills on a bike and that's my weakness. But if I look at what their races they're doing and there are no hills on the courses they're doing, it no longer matters to me if they can climb a hill fast or not for that particular a priority mm -hmm. race. So it's not, it's not really a limiter. It's not, it's not keeping them from mm -hmm. achieving their, their race goal. So limiters are weaknesses that are specific to the event we're training for. And we'll all have these. Mm -hmm. So if, you, for example, if you're training for an Ironman distance race, one of the most basic limiters is being able to hold out for X number of hours. Can you do a, a 12 hour, 13 hour, 14 hour event and, mm -hmm. and make all the cutoffs? You know, that, that, that's, you know, if you can't do that, that's a limiter. And that tells me one thing immediately, you've got to work on your endurance you got to be able to stay out there for X number of hours. And so until we do that, it doesn't matter about anything else. You've got to be able to, to endure for the amount of time that we were aiming at for our goal. And, and there are obviously all kinds of limiters. That's a physiological limiter. Mm -hmm. We also have limiters that are, that are psychological that, you know, I, I don't think I can mm -hmm. do it. Uh, or you've got a spouse or a friend who says, who doesn't support your, your goal and who also doesn't think you can do it. Uh, that's a, that's a, a real burden to carry. Especially I, I had mm -hmm. once had an athlete whose goal was to run a marathon, his first marathon. And his wife thought running marathons was stupid. So he never had support. So he had to get up every Saturday morning to do his long run. He would get up at like at four o'clock in the morning. So when he got back after his long run, she would just be waking up and he wouldn't have to put up with the, 
the, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, the challenge she would give him about what he had just done, which is run for two plus hours. Yeah. So, um, so that was, you know, that's, that's always a challenge. And by the way, he did not uh, complete the marathon. He just, he just had too many challenges to deal with wow. uh, in his life. That was only one of them, but that, that's just the way it is for in life sometimes. So some of these, you know, so that, that was definitely a limiter for this guy, but you know, that was, that's not the sort of limiter you're going to change easily. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned from him that what I need to do is start including when this was the case include spouses in, in the conversations or best friends, perhaps even um, yeah. to talk about what we're trying to achieve here and how we're going about doing this and how important it is for them to support their, their spouse or yeah. significant other. So that, you know, so that I learned from that lesson from that athlete, rather that um, I need to include everybody in the conversation, especially when that was mm -hmm. a limiter. So everybody's mm -hmm. got limiters. It could be, it could be, uh, it could be lifestyle. You're, you're, you work 80 hours a week and yet you want to do an Ironman. Well, yes. that's, that's, that's a limiter. You know, that there's things, something holding you back there from achieving your goal. Mm -hmm. and we've got to figure that out. How are we going to do this given your, your limiter or do we, can we change your limiters or somebody to do that? So there's, so there's, <laughs> There's all these things, so they're not, it could be nutritional. The athlete just has mm. a terrible diet. You know, that's something that's probably more easily changed than your, your work routine yeah. or your spouse's attitudes. But it's nevertheless something that a lot of athletes need to take into consideration is, is that holding me back? Yeah. And uh, it's hard to admit sometimes that it is or, or whatever it may be. So that, that is the coach's job. Athletes are not very good typically at discovering their limiters. They know their weaknesses, but they don't translate that very well into limiters. So if I that athlete's talking about that doesn't climb hills very well, he's getting ready, he's coaching himself, getting ready for a race with no hills, he's probably gonna go out and do lots of hills because <laughs> he thinks that's that's what's holding him back, you know. But you know, but it's not a limiter. So that that's that's my whole coaching philosophy is based on this idea is discover the athlete's limiters and then go about correcting them. If you can do that. You're you're solving you're 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 solving the, the the issue of how do we achieve this athlete's goal. So that's the starting point for the whole conversation. Is what is what is holding me back? I love that. It's it's so important. I mean, you hit on a, a lot of good points, like especially spousal support. Um, I find that that's probably a bigger challenge than a lot of people are lay up to do because one person wants to get healthy make this health change and the other partner isn't quite on board just yet or maybe never get on board and then you hear about divorce and that stuff you're like eh. yeah um and also like you mentioned the the course it's always like train for the course and and i love that too um there's also um well, I have notes here. Uh, you mentioned the diet, the training. Um, we have decreased in muscle muscle mass. So that would you cause that as a limiter or aerobic capacity um, medications? These are yeah, some these things are, I got from your notes. Yeah, these are all things that are taking place as we age. Mm. Um, one of the changes that takes place is we lose muscle mass uh, as we age. 
Yes. So you need that. That's that becomes a limiter if you're trying to to achieve at a high level within your age category. Those athletes who are achieving at a high level within an advanced age category are probably doing things to keep their muscle mass from being lost, which basically means doing strength work of some sort. Mm -hmm. And there's, I won't get into this, the details here, but there's all kinds of ways you can do strength work. You don't have to have a gym to do it. But um, that's often a limiter for an athlete is, as they get older is they're, they're losing muscle mass. But they're always not aware of it because it happens so, so slowly. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that it just doesn't happen overnight. You don't see a change mm -hmm. in my muscle mass from, you know, from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. It happens over the course of months, if not years. Yeah. So if, you know, if you see an older person out um, walking, for example, in your neighborhood, person is in their 70s, 80s, whatever, 90s, maybe even, what you'll notice is that they become, they're extremely small and they have difficulty making the movements of even walking, like stepping up onto a curb is a challenge for people as they start getting extremely old. And the reason for that is because they've lost muscle mass. And mm -hmm. it's happened over the years. They weren't like that when they were 20 years old. They were like you and I were, we were 20 years old. They had plenty of muscle. We all did. And we could, we could move and we could any way we wanted because we had all this muscle. But as we get older, it, be, it gradually goes away. Mm. You don't, it, it's this, this concept of use it or lose it. You know, if you don't use those muscles, they begin to wither away. And you can see that all the time in, in, in older people that they've lost muscle mass. But it happens so slowly that we're not aware of it. So you got to be, that's one thing we need to be very aware of as we get older is you need to do something to maintain your muscle mass. That involves strength training, which I'm sure we'll come back to in more details mm -hmm. later on. So that's, that's a starting point. You mentioned aerobic capacity is going to decline. There's no question that's going to happen. Uh, you can temporarily reverse it. You can start doing, for example, interval training, and you can cause your VO2 max to rise, but it'll be temporary. Uh, it may last a few weeks, maybe a few months, but eventually it's going to start going down again. It's just the way life is. You cannot stop your VO2 max from descending over, over the course of your life. Otherwise, if that was not the case, we would have 90-year-olds who are running, who are breaking <laughs> two hours and 10 minutes for a marathon. <laughs> um, just, just not going to happen because as we age up, we lose aerobic capacity. That's just, again, one of those things that happens. We can maintain it. You want to keep it as high as you can by doing workouts that kind of stimulate your aerobic uh, system to keep uh, the ability to process oxygen is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And it's more than just your lungs. People think when you say aerobic capacity, that means you got to have big lungs. Well, lungs are only a piece of this. We're getting down to the nitty gritty now, what's happening at the cell in your muscles, for example, and the enzymes your body produces and all that kind of stuff that has to do with this whole thing happening. But it all comes down to what do you do in your, in your workouts and your exercise. If all you do is long, slow distance, it's going to decline yeah. rather rapidly. I, I, in my book, I cited studies that showed this happen with elite athletes. It took a, a group of elite athletes when they were in their 20s and test them for their VO2 max and uh, discovered they were in extremely good shape, as you would imagine. That VO2 max is typically in the 70s, which is really high. It's, it's a lead athlete category. And then they brought them back 20 years later, 
to see what their VO2 max was like then. Well, everybody had lost some VO2 max, but those who had quit exercising altogether had lost a gigantic amount of VO2 max. Yeah. They were losing at the rate of about 15% per, per decade or about one and a half points per, per year, which is really high. That's what the average uh-huh. population can expect to happen. Those, who, those athletes who kept on running but quit racing and quit doing intervals and in high intensity were losing it at about the rate of around 10% per decade or about 1% per year, which is actually quite good to be able to hold that level. And then there were the athletes who continued to race, continued to do intervals, and they were maintaining their, their VO2 max at the rate of about the loss of about 7.5% per decade or about 0. 0.075 per year, which is extremely good. And that's what I found to be the case with athletes I've known over the years when we had them test VO2 maxes and we have historical data. I can look back and see how they exercised, what their lifestyle was like and what their VO2 maxes are like now compared with then. And, but this, so there were two studies done like that. They're cited in the book and they really point out the fact we need to continue to do high intensity exercise. I'm sure that'll come back again in our discussion. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in segment three. So in the third one, but I want to go back to the importance of strength training. Now I know this, like in segment three, we're going to talk more about some other things, but right now, like strength training, because I know um, I made the decision, uh, I think it was 48, 47, when I started looking at my muscles at that age, and I went to the gym sometimes, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll go to the gym. But then I started looking at, yeah, you know, it wasn't a necessity for me, it was just kind of like a luxury, you know, like I was going to the gym working out. But then I started looking at what my biceps looked like and my and I was just like oh my gosh and then it just like it was like a light bulb I'm like I have to be in the gym like I can this is like I it has to be part of my life like a serious part but only a small percentage of us I would say actually think that way like maybe you know we use the winter to because we're inside and we're not outside cycling all the time we're going to talk about cycling here but but winter is kind of like you know the strength trainings but we know like you just said you might do all the strength training and build up some muscle during the winter but what happens in the summer you know when you decide to lay off for like five months of no strength training can, I want you to talk about that, like, because it's something that had, well, in my opinion, I don't know about you, but it has to be incorporated or should be incorporated consistently. Exactly right. It needs to be, all, all training needs to be consistent. Inconsistent mm-hmm. training is, is for the most part a waste of time. Um, you've got to, you've got to be dedicated uh, to strength training the same as you are dedicated to getting out the door and getting in your, your aerobic workout, whatever that may be, swim, bike, run, whatever you do. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be dedicated to strength. Um, it can't be haphazard. It can't just be when you feel like it. Uh, that's not going to be effective for you. What's effective, you know, I had a discussion with somebody on the internet the other day about <laughs> the term consistency. What does that mean? And... Um, <laughs> 
this is this is at the heart of that word. You've got to be consistent. So what does consistent mean? Uh -huh. Consistent means you do it regularly and you do it frequently, but you do it. Mm -hmm. You don't do it randomly. It doesn't just happen occasionally. It happens because you've decided you're going to do it on a schedule. For example, this may be you do it two times a week. You go to the, you go to the gym or you, you do whatever the exercise, it doesn't have to be the gym. It can be lots of places to be in your home, mm -hmm. but you, you go do strength work, let's, let's say twice a week. And those two days are going to be Monday and Thursday. Every Monday and Thursday, you're going to do strength work. That needs to be like a part of your life. Mm -hmm. That needs to be something you do every Monday, every Thursday, you do strength work. That's just become, and, and that becomes consistent. And this doesn't mean though yeah. that you never change the routine. You can change the routine. You can change the exercises you're doing. If you decide something is going to work better than something else, you can change the sets, the reps, um, the loads. There are things you can change throughout the, throughout the exercise program, but it needs to be consistent. That's, you mm -hmm. can, I've, I've often used this point that you can do the wrong things consistently and that's better than doing the right thing inconsistently. <laughs> yeah. So just, just go to the, to the whatever you use your exercise station, <clears throat> go there, do it twice a week, and just do something that that's involves resistance. Do something. I don't care if it's right yeah. or wrong. Just get started doing something. Yeah. Do some push-ups. Do some squats. Do some you know some some curls, some crunches. Mm -hmm. Just do something. And as you start doing these things, you'll start having ideas about things I could do better. And the thing will evolve over time. But the most important part is to do it every time you decide to do it, get out there and do it. Now, there are going to be things that interrupt the schedule. You're going to have to go on. I've got a business trip coming up next week. I'm going to miss my, one of my strength routines. That's just the way it is in my life. You're going to have to bring some bands with you. <laughs> I do. I take, I take <laughs> rubber, take those big there you plastic go. bands with me when I work out. Can't do everything, but I can do something. Yep. So you, you remain consistent as best you possibly can. And the whole idea is if you miss one of these exercise sessions, you just simply get back onto it the next Monday and the next Thursday. You're right back in the, in the exercise room again, wherever that may be, doing it again. So be consistent. I know. I love the people like, well, I can't fit it in. I'm out cycling all the time. I go, yeah, but you're not cycling all and especially women you know because i i don't know i think for women it's way more important um i don't know about guys maybe you can talk on that but as a woman i'm like now is not the time to be relaxed on the strength training part um because it like things just happen so much quicker like you know what I mean? Um, and I found that, you know, strength training this winter has really impacted my cycling ability on a positive scale, like way more than what it has before. I don't know what I've done completely different this year, but I just feel so much stronger. And maybe it's because of the consistency over the last two years, because I think it just, it compounds itself, you know, like, like you can't feel well i don't know but um just uh like increasing your pro processy or increasing your progress or your training over years like um yeah it just feels different 
and I'm not doing a whole lot of difference. I've been very consistent in the cycling part and the strength training, but I've been doing that for two years. Um, do you have a comment on that? Like, yeah, you're doing the right things. You're, you're staying consistent and you're staying focused on doing mm -hmm. things consistently. Um, I wouldn't recommend, you know, I, although I said, you know, you're better off doing the wrong things consistently than you are doing the right things inconsistently. It's true, but we can narrow this down to doing the right things also. That, that's what you should be doing is learning what are the right things for me? Mm -hmm. Where do I need uh, to develop muscle mass? It may be sport related things. It may be that you're a cyclist. And you want to you want to make sure that your your um, your cycling muscles don't wither away with age. Uh, they will. You, uh, you know, I've I've had many friends who are 80s, 90 year olds athletes. Even one of one athlete is 100s cyclists, and uh, you know they're withering away. Um, even though they continue to, to participate in the sport, the sport certainly helps them maintain muscle mass, but more focused muscle mass uh, correction in, in, the, in the gym or wherever you may do it is what you really need to, to keep this moving in the right direction. You've got to be focused mm -hmm. on doing muscle mass that is related not only to the sport, but also to your whole body. Mm -hmm. and this, this, is, this becomes, interesting point is the older you get, the more important everything in your life becomes, quite honestly. We tend to have the opposite opinion. When I'm in my 50s, my 60s, I can cut back now because I'm no longer like I was when I was in my 20s and my 30s. Well, guess what? You're exactly wrong. Now <laughs> the issue becomes that you've got to be more, more dedicated to it yeah. because the body's going to lose it even faster now. Uh -huh. so if you don't become dedicated to it by working out consistently when you're in your 50s, especially, and continuing on into your later decades, it's not going to work. You've got to be very consistent now. It's more important. And, you know, a 25-year-old, it really doesn't matter what a 25-year-old does in terms mm -hmm. of strength training. It makes no difference. Quite honestly, it makes no difference. They, same with their diet. They can eat all the junk food they want. They're <laughs> going to be fine. You're in your 50s. You can't approach those topics in the very same way. And now it's become extremely important. My diet is important. My strength training is important. Yeah. My exercise is important. And it's more important than it was when I was half my age. So, you know, it, it, it's going to change. You've got to be uh, willing to adapt by becoming even more dedicated, even more consistent in your training as you age up. Oh, my gosh. Like, seriously. I don't know. Like, that, that just, it's so true. And I don't know. Like I said, like when I was 48, like 47, it was like a slap in the face. I'm like, Sylvie, you can't just like decide when you want to go to the gym. Like this needs to be your life, like lifestyle. Like it was a lifestyle, but now it really needs to be a very regular, more regular, more focused. And I, I can't even explain it, but I just like, what I say now is like, I am, it is, I, it's mandatory to do, you know? And, uh, and I think, and I tell my friends or my clients, it's like fifties, like if you can get yourself ready into your fifties and then keep building and maintaining, cause like I'm 51 now and I'm like, I think I see things changing really fast. I'm like, oh my God, like diet, 
like you need to have a handle on that it it's the and and i think it all plays a positive role towards menopause i mean that's not part of what we're going to talk about but i um you know being healthy as a woman reduces i feel the effects of menopause by talking to i think some you have you do mention um some there are some chapters there's a chapter anyways you talk about menopause but um i certainly do feel that even talking to my other uh friends who are older than i am that being healthy has a seriously positive impact on menopausal symptoms if you want to say you know i'm sure that's the case i i've got no experience, <laughs> you would know <laughs> my wife that's your next me, book <laughs> Yeah. My wife tells me that it, it, it was beneficial compared with her friends who didn't exercise. So I think you're right. Exactly. So with that, that is a perfect segue to close up this first episode because next week's episode, we are going to be talking about diet and diet how important the routine is of sleep, eat, recover, train, and repeat. And so I hope all of our listeners have gotten some really great nuggets and <laughs> from this one. And maybe going back to the drawing board, pick up the Fast After 50. Pick up this one. If you're training inside, this one is going to help because it talks about properly training properly training inside so you don't overdo it and then the fast after 50 is making further changes so with that i hope you guys enjoyed this episode don't forget to follow joe on twitter because that's where he is and uh the podcast on instagram and also to join our newsletter thank you very much and we'll see you on the next episode um we're talking about sleep thanks a lot guys hey everyone i hope you really enjoyed that first episode talking with joe about what it is to be a senior aging athlete that doesn't mean we're super old but it means that we've realized that things are happening in our body and we need to start making the adjustments so i hope you love that episode we've got two more over the next two weeks. Make sure you don't miss them. They're gonna be super good. The next one is about the routine and the last one is about high performance. So take care and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast. Learning more about sighting people, places and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike.
And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.